0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. Uh, And 200 years ago, there was a craze sweeping Europe, which was balloonomania. Uh, manned balloon flights were amazing crowds and capturing imaginations, and balloons became a popular uh, decorative motif on everything from ceramic plates to copper cake tins, and even integrated into fashion... Uh, and one of the famed figures in this whole ballooning um, madness was a woman named Sophie Blanchard. And she was the first woman to become a professional balloonist. But how did a timid girl, which she was, according to most people, become a trailblazer in what was an extremely dangerous career field? Before we get to that story, we need to look a little bit at how balloons became so popular in the late 18th century. So in 1766, there was a scientific thing that happened, which is that British philosopher and chemist Henry Cavendish uh, made a discovery that really kind of catapulted ballooning into the public eye. He isolated hydrogen, which at the time he called inflammable air. Uh, It wasn't named hydrogen until another scientist worked with it later named Antoine Lavoisier. This new knowledge of this lighter-than-air element led to experimentations in balloon technology that weren't based on hot air. Uh, and so the invention of the gas balloon, which was also known as Charlier or Robertine, uh, took place. Whereas nowadays, we're back to hot air but there's a reason for that that kind yes. of comes up in this podcast well and, and you may guess what it is if you have listened to our podcast about the hindenburg yeah it's not a super big secret that uh hydrogen they, they called it inflammable air for a reason yes it caught fire extremely easily yes so spoiler alert <laughs> there will be fire fire will happen So when Sophie was still just a child in the 1780s, two brothers by the name of Montgolfier were experimenting with balloon technology. France's King Louis XVI was intrigued by the Montgolfier's work, and he proposed that they send two criminals up in a manned flight when the technology had reached the appropriate size. Yeah, they had, balloons had started small and were getting bigger and bigger, and Louis XVI is like, we could send up a couple of criminals. There's no real risk there if something happens. Right. It, it um, sort of demonstrates the, the the element of danger that was involved here. It was yeah. like not quite safe enough for regular people, but in the view of the king... Criminals would be fine. Yeah, but the Montgolfier brothers did not actually agree. Uh, their first flight, they actually opted to send up farm animals. Uh, they started with a duck, a rooster, and a sheep. And the animals made history as the first living creatures in flight in 1783 at Annanay, Antin- France. And they uh, landed safely at, on the ground after about 10 minutes aloft. So the king and his queen, who was, of course, Marie Antoinette, were apparently utterly delighted by this exhibition, as was a very large crowd that had gathered to witness this event. Sounds like a like the setup to a joke to me, that there were a duck a duck rooster to <laughs> get in a balloon and delight the king of France. Yes. A few months later, one of the brothers, Etienne Montgolfier, got to be the first human to man a balloon flight. So Etienne's flight was tethered, but not long after his controlled foray into the sky, an untethered flight carried the French marquis François Laurent Le Vieux and Pilatre de Rosier on a brief flight, which was witnessed once again by King Louis XVI, as well as Benjamin Franklin, and again, a sizable crowd. People were really quite entranced by these balloon flights. The man Sophie would marry was born on July 4th, 1753, Jean-Pierre François Blanchard was 25 years older than she was. And Jean-Pierre started his own experiments with flying machines in the 1770s. His focused on the use of a uh, rowing in the air, almost like you would a ship, and trying to get air currents to lift the vessel. But once the Montgolfier brothers showed the success of ballooning, uh, Jean-Pierre switched gears completely and joined the ballooning craze. Jean-Pierre made his first balloon ascent in March of 1784. Sophie would have been around six at this point. And in January 1785, he made the first manned flight over the English Channel with an American doctor, John Jeffries. Uh, they started in England and landed in France. Yeah, a subsequent attempt to cross the Channel uh, in the opposite direction by Pilatre de Rosier, who was had been in one of those earlier flights, did not end so well, Uh it resulted in the first recorded aviation fatality. In his heart, Jean-Pierre was a showman above anything else, and to make money, he took his ballooning on tour. During this time, he abandoned the wife he'd been married to since 1774, Victoire Lebrun and their four children, to poverty, while he traveled and showed crowds his aeronautical skills. Yeah, uh, there Jean-Pierre is a very interesting character, and he could be his own whole podcast because there are a lot of crazy stories about him. And there are always these little, like, oh, he was doing these amazing things. By the way, he did some really seedy stuff as well. Like, he left his wife. He tried to cheat some business partners along the way. There there are all of those. So keep that in mind. Uh, But as he was doing all of his showmanship, he decided to add a bit of flair to the proceedings. And so he would sometimes drop a parachuted dog from the balloon basket or shoot off fireworks. Uh, And the first dog drop happened on June 3rd of 1785. And according to accounts, the dog survived. So Blanchard would repeat the experiment on subsequent shows because people were so wowed by this idea of a dog being dropped from a balloon and surviving. He also tried parachuting himself. He was the first person to successfully use a parachute. And at one point, he added sails to his balloon in the hope of improving propulsion and maneuvering. Jean-Pierre was basically a rock star of the ballooning world and even a trendsetter. Balloon enthusiasts copied his hairstyle, and the images of his balloon appeared on ladies' fans and other accessories. And he also, as one of his business ventures, founded a short-lived school called the Balloon and Parachute Aerostatic Academy, but it did not last terribly long. In 1793, Jean-Pierre ascended from a prison yard in Philadelphia aboard a balloon, the first North American ascent. For an audience which included the U.S. founding fathers, it was his 45th ascension. And he was doing all of these incredible things. He actually still holds records and he was incredibly popular and he did a lot of theatrical uh, lifts and would sell tickets. But Jean-Pierre really found himself in some pretty steep financial trouble. And to make matters worse, he had angered John Jeffries, who had been his primary financial contributor and was also his partner in the English Crossing, uh, the English Channel Crossing. But he had always handled his money poorly. Even when he was making a lot of money, he was spending far more than he was taking in. And he was trying to find new ways to reinvigorate the interest of spectators and always sell more tickets and book more shows. Yeah. Sophie was born on March 25th, 1778. Her birth name was Marie-Madeleine Sophie Armand. One of the bothersome aspects of this story is that we just don't have a lot of information about what her life was like pre-Jean-Pierre. Yeah, almost any biography uh, you read of her when you look it up in books on the history of ballooning, it's literally like she was born and then she married this guy. <laughs> And then she became important. Hero uh, things. happened in between. Yeah, there must have been, but it really is pretty difficult to find any of them. But what we do know is that she was a very nervous young woman. Uh, people that knew, knew her describe her as being afraid of even riding in carriages. Uh, physical descriptions of her from multiple sources all describe her as very small, with angular features. Sometimes she's described as bird-like. And most accounts of her appearance are actually kind of unflattering, which I, I found one that said she was pretty, but the rest were kind of mean. I am sort of tired of mean descriptions of ladies' personal features in history. Yeah, I mean, that happens now today, too. At some point, we will be history, and people will talk about how everyone was talking about how ugly everybody was. <laughs> that gets on my nerves. Uh, just, she had a very interesting life. It didn't really matter. I think it matters the focus on appearance is <laughs> what is getting on my nerve. Yeah. Jean-Pierre and Sophie were married at some point between seventeen ninety seven and eighteen oh four, and it kind of varies depending on the source you look at. So you might see any number of conflicting dates. Yeah, some suggest that um there it's hinted in some biographies that he may have married her as a way to propel his show career. Um others suggest that they had already been married, but Well and, and what had happened to his old wife? She died in poverty. Oh yeah. Thanks Jean-Pierre. Sorry, Victoire, you're apparently not important enough to him to worry about. Uh he's got to do his balloon thing. And as part of his plan to drum up new income, Jean-Pierre hatched this plan to add Sophie to the show to add novelty and attract bigger crowds. So again, some some books will suggest that um him taking her up in a balloon was like a honeymoon, and others just say no no, they were already married. But he took his wife, who at this point was just age 26, uh, half his age, up in their first duo flight together on December 27th, 1804 at Marseille. Uh, sort of unexpectedly, given everything everybody had said about her at this point, Sophie found balloon flight exhilarating. And she didn't show any of her timidity that she had shown on land while she was aloft. Uh, so this attraction to traveling was born. She's said to have described balloon flight as an incomparable sensation. In addition to her ascents with Jean-Pierre, Sophie also started to make solo balloon trips as well. And just as a note, uh, while Sophie is often referred to as the first female aeronaut, she was not, strictly speaking, the first female balloonist. Several other women had made ascents in balloons, both tethered and free, before her. Uh, But she was the first woman to fly a balloon solo, and she was certainly the first to make a career out of it. During a flight over the Hague in February of 1808, Jean-Pierre had a heart attack, and he fell out of the basket that he and Sophie were in. And we wound up falling more than 50 feet, or 15.2 meters. And Jean-Pierre never recovered from his injuries from this fall. And he hung on for a little more than a year, but he died on March 7th of 1809, and he was only 56 at the time. When Jean-Pierre died, he left this mountain of debt behind. And rather than being a quiet and retiring widow, Sophie vowed to make good on all of those debts. She kept on with her ballooning career to bring in money. And she fulfilled her promise to pay back the creditors that Jean-Pierre owed. That always kind of blows me away. Like this woman in the early 1800s is left, not just destitute, but deeply in debt by her husband. And she's like, okay, I'll handle it. All right, ballooning. Let's do it. That's pretty impressive. Uh, and she is said to have loved ballooning at night in particular. And she eventually got into the habit of all night trips. There was one biographical article I was reading that suggested that part of why she might have, it's, pure speculation, enjoyed ballooning even though she was afraid of, like, everything on the ground, was that it was quiet there. And what was really scaring her, like, in horse carriages and, you know, out on the streets was just the noise of it. It is quite noisy to be in a carriage (laughs) drawn by horses over, like, cobblestone or whatever. But we don't know. But if that was the case, it would make sense that she would really find it to be a good place to uh, spend the night. Uh, And then following her deceased spouse's lead, she also took on some uh, theatrics. She would use these night trips to launch fireworks from the balloon to dramatic effect. That is just as bad of an idea as it sounds. Horrible idea these don't ever go up in a helium balloon this is hydrogen sorry. don't Please do helium either no don't set off fireworks from a balloon <laughs> <laughs> even if the what's inside of it is not an immensely flammable gas yeah uh, On June 24th, 1810, Sophie made her 16th ascension as part of a celebration of the marriage of Napoleon and Marie Louise. And Napoleon was extremely fond of Sophie. He appointed her chief air minister of ballooning. And in this role, she actually developed and assessed plans for balloon based aerial raids of England for Napoleon. Although she eventually had to report to him that this really was not a feasible way to wage a war, uh, that these were not missions that he should plan on doing they needed dragons, like in the Temeraire books. That's what I think. (laughs) Even after the French monarchy was restored, Sophie stayed in the good graces of the nation's leaders. As part of Louis XVIII's restoration celebration, Sophie ascended in a balloon from Pont Neuf, and was eventually named Official Aeronaut of the Restoration by the Bourbon King. And she was also something of a daredevil in the air. and she really did become quite famous throughout Europe. Uh, what's interesting is that she accomplished a lot of feats that her husband had only dreamed of, and of course she also got herself in a lot of dangerous situations. One of the big accomplishments was that she crossed the Alps by balloon, which uh, Jean-Pierre had always said he was interested in doing, but never achieved. I'm Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. Did you know small businesses make up 99.9% of all businesses in the United States? The world is powered by entrepreneurs, and if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out season two of Mind the Business, small business success stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. And every episode, hosts Austin Hankwitz and Janice Torres talk to entrepreneurs about how they've grown from the lessons of launching and nurturing a small business and how they have found success being their own boss. From the excitement of first starting out to finding Finding the right tools and resources to process invoices and payments like QuickBooks Money, you won't want to miss these inspiring stories of entrepreneurship and discovering ways to business differently so you can too. And if you're a small business owner or even someone dreaming of starting your own business, then you'll want to check out Season 2 of Mind the Business, Small Business Success Stories from Ruby Studio, from iHeartMedia, and Intuit QuickBooks. If you use paper, you're a human, but if you choose paper, you're a papertarian, someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day, seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. En route to Turin in April of 1812, she had nosebleeds and icicles formed on her face and hands. A little bit dangerous. Uh, In 1817, she had a really weird sort of brush with danger. She mistook a flooded field... Uh, for a meadow, and she tried to land there. And she nearly drowned, but fortunately there were horsemen that had been tracking her flight, and when they saw the balloon go down, they were able to get to her and pull her to safety. Her night trips would also sometimes last all night, and she would occasionally fall asleep in the basket. Yeah, which isn't really maybe the smartest thing. No. To doze off while you're conducting a vehicle. <laughs> going to go with... A vehicle that is in the sky and also flammable. None of the vehicles should you sleep while you're... <laughs> but especially if it's in the sky and also flammable. Uh, so on July 6th of 1819, Sophie prepared for one of her regular appearances over the Tivoli Gardens in Paris. And she normally made this ascent twice each week when she was in Paris. Uh, she would sell tickets to spectators who would come and watch her balloon. And they would also watch her huge nighttime fireworks show. On this particular night, she was carrying a larger-than-normal complement of the fireworks because she was preparing what uh, she called her Bengal fire display. And this was a slow-burning fireworks show. She reported to have said, Allons, ce sera pour la dernière fois, as she got into the basket, which means, let's go for the last time. Whether she actually meant for this show to be her last one, she was 41 at the time, and she was financially uh, stable, but she was not exactly rolling in money and ready to retire. It's not really clear. We don't have a record for sure of whether she really meant for this to be her last show. Yeah, there are... discussions of it in different books. One is just that uh, because she had so many fireworks, there are some stories, and again, they're unverified, that people were like, no, no, you shouldn't go. It's it's too much. And others were like, come on, let's start the fireworks. And uh, it could be that she was just saying, for the last time, I'm going. We're doing this. Just that it didn't have anything to do with it being her last time in the air. But it did prove to be a little bit prophetic. Because as the show started, the winds shifted, and uh, Sophie would do this thing where she would drop fireworks from the basket on parachutes, similar to how they had dropped dogs and people after the basket previously, uh, and they would burn out as they fell to the ground. But because of the wind shift, she was being carried away from Tivoli Gardens. Something went wrong with the show, and Sophie's balloon caught on fire, as you may have guessed was going to happen by the abundant foreshadowing <laughs> <laughs> and the choice, and just the simple science. Like and the choice of hydrogen is as a, as a gas to inflate the balloon, and then carry fire, and carry fire around. Yeah. Uh, Though some spectators cheered, believing that the flames were part of just a huge spectacle that was intentional and part of the show. Yeah, she had such a reputation for putting on these amazing shows that they were like, "Wow, she's making it look like the balloon's on fire." The yeah. balloon was on fire. Uh, and she is said to have tried to slow the descent of the balloon by cutting ballast as it went up in flames. So she's kind of floating over Paris at this point point. Um, and trying to slow things down so she doesn't just crash into something. And there are some accounts that suggest that spectators thought even after they had realized that this was not part of the show, they really thought that she might have a good shot at landing safely. But as she was working, the balloon hit the roof of a house and she was thrown out of it. She was found dead on the street, according to newspaper accounts. Yeah, some suggest that she broke her neck. Um, others simply say that she was dead in the street and they don't go into any detail. Uh, Sophie was buried in Paris in the Père Lachaise Cemetery, and her monument was paid for through public donations. It features a pedestal with a sphere and a flame atop it, representing the Aeronaut's fiery final voyage find that kind of morbid. It is a little bit weird to show the manner of death on the monument. There's an apocryphal story that the funds for the monument were actually the profits from ticket sales, which the Tavoli Gardens management had initially earmarked for Blanchard's children. But then they realized she had no children and re- reallocated them to the monument. Yeah, I couldn't find verification on that one, but it was such a fun odd story. They were like, we must give the money to her children! Someone going, she doesn't have kids. Oh, We, we must-, must build a monument! Uh, it's so almost Monty Python-esque and it's right. kind of uh, well-meaning uh, incorrectness that yes. it me kind and of I, I don't mean to disparage her. Or... Using hydrogen for her balloon—that is what was available for her to use. Well, and it was an age of excitement, you know, where th- things were being experimented, and you know, it had only been about fifty years since hydrogen had been identified, and these balloons kind of represented like a new age of what they could do and achieve, and how far they could go. And well, and, all part of science. And in as we have talked about, it took a very long time for people to stop filling things yes. <laughs> with hydrogen. To then float people around in. Yes, There is actually an animated documentary uh, that's being directed by Jen Sachs titled The Fantastic Flights of Sophie Blanchard that's been in production um, for a while now since it's successfully funded through an Indiegogo campaign. And as of about a month ago, their last update was that the production was working on the final animation sequence. So there will very soon, theoretically, be uh, a new short animated documentary, I love those two words together, mm-hmm. uh, about Sophie Blanchard and her life and work and uh this crazy balloon career that she had. Yeah. Which, you know, relatively short but quite fascinating. I think that sounds like fun and I hope it's available for, for people to to stream or otherwise see. Yeah, you can visit the website now and we'll link to it in the show notes um, and you'll see kind of the, the pitch animation that they did for Indiegogo which is quite interesting and it's a fun style and you'll see kind of where it's going. Do you also have some listener mail for us? I do. Uh, this is from our listener, Lise. Uh, she says, I just listened to both of the Bride episodes and I enjoyed them overall. But I must say that I was disappointed to hear you characterize Charles Lawton as gay. So many times I've heard you discuss the issues about labeling someone's sexual identity in ways they did not describe themselves. According to your quote from Elsa's autobiography, Charles described himself as partially homosexual, and he and Elsa did conceive a child. Unless there is information you've come across that you did not cite, Charles was bisexual. I find the change in terminology problematic and hope that you rethink or clarify it. This is a very good point and valid. Uh, and he never, certainly never came out himself publicly, and even when Elsa published her uh, autobiography at first and revealed this information, a lot of his friends were very angry and said, no, 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 I think you must be making this up. Uh, So it's really valid. And we should say, like, from Elsa's point of view, she was married to a gay man because she does talk about throughout the book that uh, even when they were together, she realized that, like, his preference for her mode of dress had more to do with, like, her sort of looking boyish and even her wedding outfit was almost like a little uniform kind of thing. And and she really felt like he was trying to conform to the social norm of, you know, a heterosexual marriage, but also trying to make it work for him. Like what appealed to her about him was probably her traits that were very independent and some would characterize as masculine because most women were not quite as uh, independent and self-sufficient and outspoken as her at the time, at least not publicly. And she talks about also as they live their lives together that he's always very unhappy unless he had sort of a a male companion with him. Like he would become quite mean and angry with her, um, and even cruel at times. But if he you know had the companionship of a man, it was like he that was when he felt right. So from her point of view, having just read the reread the autobiography when I was working on the show notes, I just sort of naturally slip into her POV and go, yes, he was gay. But you're absolutely right. We shouldn't say outright he was gay. As for whether he was bisexual, I mean, that sort of gets into a whole other thing because there are lots of people that identify as gay that have had heterosexual relationships. Yeah. So. There's a, um, this is only tangentially related. There is a really interesting oral history of the uh, lesbian bar culture called Boots of Leather, Slippers of Gold. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that the author talks about is how much difficulty they had finding women who had uh, been in this culture. And had been in, in like, more of the femme stereotype, Mm -hmm. um, who still identified as lesbian. Which, I I sort of put that out there as as one of the things about, in my my mind, sexuality being a a continuum that has all kinds of places on it. And a lot of people resist fitting exclusively into a label that's somewhere on that continuum. Yeah. Yeah, so... It's all tricky, but it was, uh, Lise, I appreciate very much you bringing that to my attention because I should not have outright just said she's married to a gay man. She was married to what she believed was a gay man. Uh, and she certainly felt through their years of marriage together that she was married to a gay man. But it's like a point to bring up. I'm just glad this conversation continues and is happening and people are thinking about it and not just sexual identity, but just people's identities and yeah. uh, how they get labeled historically. It's all very um, fascinating and quite meaningful to me, so I appreciate it. If you would like to write to us about the bride or ballooning or anything else that you have in mind, you can do so at historypodcasts at discovery.com. You can connect with us on Facebook at facebook.com slash class stuff or on Twitter at missed in history. And you can also visit our Tumblr, which is missed in history.tumblr.com. And we are also on Pinterest pinning away. If you would like to learn a little bit more about what we talked about today, you can go to our website and uh, do a search for the word balloons, and you will get how hot air balloons work, which are not nearly as dangerous as the hydrogen variety. They have different dangers, but less so much of maybe it will catch on fire in a, in a dramatic crash. Yeah, we may have uh, learned a bit from all of these bad accidents. Uh, and if you would like to research almost anything else your mind can conjure, you should do that at our website, which is HowStuffWorks.com.
1: This episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class is brought to you by lynda.com. You can learn it at lynda.com, an online learning company with more than 77,000 video tutorials that teach software, creative, and business skills. Membership starts at $25 a month and provides unlimited 24-7 access to top-quality video courses taught by expert instructors with real-world experience. Listeners of Stuff You Missed in History Class can try lynda.com free for seven days by visiting lynda.com slash historystuff.